Welcome to Podcast by Tech Nation. This podcast series is focused specifically on the biomedical and HTM industry. Episodes are added monthly, and each episode is eligible for one continuing education credit from the ACI. At the conclusion of this episode, you'll be able to access a link that will take you to a quick survey. You can download your continuing education certificate once you submit the survey. Before we begin today's podcast, I'd like to invite you to save the dates for our upcoming HTM Mixer. We'll be in Kansas City on September 9th and 10th. Please visit htmmixer.com for details, registration, and our steps to keep you safe and clean in our meeting environment. Podcast by Tech Nation would like to thank our sponsor, Multimedical Systems. When you're in the business of protecting the health of patients, you don't have time for malfunctioning medical equipment. You need a reliable partner that can provide expert repair to ensure you have patient-ready equipment that meets or exceeds OEM guidelines and regulatory requirements. For more information, please visit multimedicalsystems.com. In this episode, we are joined by Ben Scoggins, Director of Clinical Engineering of Duke University. Ben, you may begin whenever you are ready. Welcome to HTM Insider. I'm your host, Sherelle, with Multi Medical Systems, and we're really excited to talk about right to repair again today. We have Ben Scoggins of Duke University. And I'd like to give Ben an opportunity to introduce himself and tell us how long he's been in the HTM industry. Yeah. Hi, yeah. Hey, how are you? Um, yeah. So I've, I, uh, folk, folks that know me have heard me say this before, but I've, I'm, I'm 33 years old and I feel like I've been in the industry for about 34 years. My, my dad was, uh, a, a clinical engineering original you one of one of the folks that was in it in the late 70s early 80s um and i i grew up around this stuff i've been uh, doing this professionally since 2011. well let's start let's get get down to it um right to repair means a lot of things to a lot of people in a lot of different industries but what does it mean to you ben it, it just really means that a, a consumer or the owner of a product uh, has the right to perform their own repairs or to choose a delegate to perform the repair or just to have an option outside of whatever is offered only by the manufacturer. And that's, yeah, it, it, to, there's nuances and, and all that depending on the industry, but that really is just the bottom line. So it's kind of interesting since your dad has been, you know, in clinical engineering for a long time and you've progressed since a young age. So it's kind of interesting to get your opinion on when did that change? When did ownership versus right to repair and the OEM, you know, taking a stance on they're the only ones that can do it. Where did you see that shift happen? Yeah, so this is this is a, an interesting story because for me, it actually started um, it, it started when I was right out of high school and I worked on heavy equipment and I was a, a field service tech for a, a 
a distributor for an international just heavy equipment company. And one of my jobs, one of the primary things that I did was just troubleshoot stuff. And, and then, you know, you go to a huge, massive commercial lumber yard, or you go to a port or place where these container loaders are, and they've got these, they've got crews of very skilled, incredibly technical people working on their equipment. And yet me as a, you know, 18 year old, 19 year old that went to a, 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 a manufacturer school for three months, they would call me in. I would get out my laptop, I would hook it up to a data port, I would pull a bunch of codes, I would look the codes up in my book, and I would say, here's the part you need to replace, here's my invoice, have a nice day. It didn't ever really strike me what I was involved in and, and what, what I was doing until, you know, four or five years later, I was, I, I had gone to school, got an associate's degree, became a biomed tech. And I went and I got a laser certification, the certified laser repair tech. And I was working on a laser. And long story short, I, I put the supply, this power supply in. When I'm testing the laser, I'm not getting the power output that I need. So I called the manufacturer. I said, hey, you guys sold me a, a faulty board. I'm not getting the power output. And they said, well, you got to calibrate it. And I said, okay, well, what's the procedure? And they said, you can't do it. Only, you know, you've got to have, you know, the laptop and the special cord. And all of a sudden, I thought back to the faces of those hundreds of people that stood there and watched me troubleshoot their, you know, their, their crane, or their container. And, and I thought, oh, I don't think they appreciated me at all. I think they probably felt like I feel right now. And, and I think prior to that, I was like most people, um, just you, you assume that the right to repair is kind of innate. You assume that right. it's that is just there. You don't think uh, it's, it's, it's not a cause you see people lining up for, uh, you know, other than those of us that are, that are privy and, and that are impacted. Uh, it, it's not something you're acutely aware of as a general consumer. Um, so that, that's kind of my path to, to understanding what was going on here. Well, you know, when you, when you look at it from now we've been through COVID where it has caused issues with technicians being restricted to travel, absolutely, uh, you know, parts availability, equipment availability, how has it impacted you and your team in your day-to-day -day operations and patient care and patient safety? Uh, yeah, uh, so it certainly has. So I, there, there's two parts, two parts of this. And I'll answer the, the direct question first. So me and me and my team, the the very next thing that there was a shortage of after toilet paper was field service engineers coming on site. It, it was it was crazy. I, it, and it didn't matter what it was. I mean, it, it's a it, it, if it was a, a patient lift or a linear accelerator, you know, you, you could we were getting told that we're sorry our organization's not allowing us to travel right now. Our organization is not allowing us into hospitals right now. It was such a disconnect from reality. And, and you know, we had to get creative a couple of times with staffing to, to make sure that we had coverage, um, you know, and, and our part of North Carolina was a part that struggled quite a bit, you know, and, and we're, a, we're a large, you know, reputable hospital and we ended up with a lot of really sick folks and mm -hmm. 
but my people were here, you know, we were coming in and we were putting on scrubs and, and putting on our masks and social distancing. And we were still responding to service calls. We were still doing what we could. And when we needed that next layer of support, it wasn't available. Right. And it was so, it was disheartening. It was frustrating. And, and honestly, it was infuriating in a lot of cases. Cause I'm, I'm looking at, you know, we're up here, we're all trying to figure it out. You're, you're watching providers try to figure out how they're going to respond to a code because it's the first one that's happened in a con, you know, in, in one of these rooms. And, and right. it, it was just, it was, it was tough. And the supply, as far as like the supply chain piece too, that that's at least more forgivable because you understood the reality of if you know just in time manufacturing and things like that there's not just warehouses full of uh, you know gaskets for my anesthesia machines you know that it does exist to some extent but it's not months and months and months worth for everybody and so at least that like that was a burden and that was troubling and we and you work your way through it but the the people that tell us otherwise that we're not allowed to access service mode and we're not allowed to turn off this pm light we're not allowed to x y and z when those folks are not coming on site it it just it was a completely different situation yeah i i i've heard that a lot that it's been a frustrating time did you see me relax in those like maybe service keys or help um via zoom or something that they were trying to help you or was it just shut off were you just cut off from not too bad it's broke it's broke we'll get there when we get there so we definitely had some i i i i won't vendor name drop i will say that i'm planning on it another 35 or 40 years in this industry and i have a, a very short list of people that anytime i'm ever asked i'm going to say they they do not have your patience and in mind and let's move on so there there are a couple that just it, it, we're so sorry. This is unfortunate. Good luck. We'll see you. You know when we'll see you when it, when herd immunity hits. And obviously, it didn't get that bad. But there were some that worked with us. You know, some that maybe extended some gave additional licenses. Some that maybe uh, shared expert agreement uh type of contracts were expiring and you have to re re-up but we weren't able to attend the school they went ahead and extended we we did see a lot of that so um very appreciative to those vendors that remembered that th what they're doing is providing solutions for patient care and right and and very uh very frustrated by some others now, you know, I've talked to a couple of people before you and on this podcast, you know, Ben Sing Wang, Perry Kerwin, and a couple of things they brought up is, you know, manufacturers are saying it's the IP, right? The intellectual property. Sure. That's why they're not giving it up. So if I was to give you a choice of the top three things, why do you think a manufacturer doesn't want to play ball necessarily, especially in this need? Would it be IP to you? Would it be money? What are some things that you can come up with? Um, I, one, I'll, I'll start with the popular one. One, one is that service 
is very profitable for for vendors, um, whether ISOs, OEMs, all that kind of stuff. If it, if it wasn't, it, they would do something else with their time and their resources, right? So the, uh, you've got publicly traded companies and all these things. They're not just they're not providing service just out of the goodness of their heart. You know, they're they're doing it to all kinds of reasons, you know, establish loyalty, build that kind of long-term relationship, you know, selling sockets when, when it comes time for this thing to be replaced, you remember how great this, this lady or this guy was that came in and took care of you. Um, but the, the margin, especially on like preventive maintenance, the, the margins are usually pretty, uh, pretty, pretty beneficial for the vendors. Um, and of course, there's except there's somebody screaming right now saying, "Yeah, we're only at you know two percent." Sure, but that's that ain't the that ain't the standard. That's not the that's not the okay. the medical device service industry is like what twenty twenty billion dollars or something a year. I mean, it's 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 serious money, and mm-hmm. grows eight eight to ten percent every year. Yeah. And I, but the the second piece that folks aren't willing always to admit to there there is risk for the vendor letting us you know let, letting people outside of their organization service things especially when they're held so accountable by like the fda uh, if there's a sentinel event with the device that that's a big deal mm-hmm. if there, if there are multiple sentinel events with the device it's it, we're, we're reading about it in you know 24 7 and they're removing that thing it's 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 a problem and it costs these manufacturers spend depending on what you read 20 30 40 million bucks to get something through like the fda process and then and they just don't want people monkeying around with it right um now the caveat to that is that ain't what we do we're really good at fixing this stuff uh, you you know uh, and 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 i know the techs that are doing these things are incredible and and they're very good and they're very focused on patient care right? very focused on patient care passionate dedicated people in the htm industry it's amazing yeah. my dad used to tell me if i wanted to be a hero i should be a firefighter and uh I love it yeah and i always thought that was pretty good so you definitely don't get into this for the money or the the prestige or the rec- recognition you know it, it, it really is the folks that do it and do it well um it it really does feel like a calling but uh, the 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 piece that i do want to address and and may take, talk about this a little later too though but as an industry we have to do a better job of representing ourselves and we have to do a better job of representing ourselves outside of our organizations and outside of our symposiums and when when um when a when a a manufacturer sends their you know government relations professionals to to go meet and wine and dine um the people that are making these decisions and making the writing these laws and, and these things, they they spend less time talking about how awesome they are and more time talking about how we're scary. You know, you should be concerned. Look at this, you know, look at this work order, look at this scenario, look at the look at this situation, this litigation, this 
and almost always the the uh, the evidence of those situations are documentation. As silly as it is, that's one of the one of the things that we've got to do better. And 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 the technicians and the management and you know I I really appreciate. Um, you know, Matt and, and some of those folks that are doing an initiative right now towards just standardizing language, hmm. because we don't, if, if, if you had, if you were running a, a, a HTM program and I'm running an HTM program and we're across the train tracks from each other, we, we can't even really compare our own data. Right. And, and so it's, and I would, bet pretty good money that both of us are doing an incredible job of keeping equipment up keeping things compliant probably the joint commission or dnv or whoever was thrilled with their last survey and yet we can't compare with each other how things are going yeah you're right you're absolutely correct so have you I, noticed any of these really affecting patient care do you feel like had you been able to repair it or given the authorization or the key or maybe parts that sure. you would have had better patient care in your facility? Absolutely. I'm again, I said it earlier, I'm, I'm only 33 years old and can literally give you not anecdotal personal stories of multiple times that I've been impacted, not even not as a not as a clinical engineering or HTM professional, but just as a as a patient or a patient's loved one, you know, I've, I've taken a day off work to take someone to an appointment and found out that morning it needs to be rescheduled. And, and because I am in the know, I'll say, don't you guys have a, a an HTM department? And they say, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, this, yeah but this system that we use, it, the, it, it requires the, the OEM. And, and when I look at what it is, I'm like, oh yeah, I know, I know exactly what that is. And you're right. So, yeah, I mean, any pa patient care, it, it, it's not like getting a haircut or whatever. And if, if I'm sorry, we can't do it this Wednesday, let's do it next Thursday. You don't know what your what that eight days is feeling like. What if, what if that eight days is an eight day extension of finding out if your breast cancers come back or what if it's an extension to, you know, you're supposed to have, something done tomorrow now it's next tuesday and that stuff's happening all the time and i promise you it's happening as a direct result of the folks that are there every day clocking in not having the autonomy to be able to go take care of whatever the device is and and not just that but even just the cost the cost of patient care you know we we know that in especially in the united states our cost the our cost to health outcome ratio is not good. I'm, I'm dealing with a service contract earlier today with a 18% cost of service ratio and uh, annually. So the, the device cost X and every year I have to spend 18% of that to, for, for maintenance. You know, and that's not, that's not including, you know, consumables and just like the, the rest of the oh. Cost. Yeah, I've got to pay for that. But guess what? My budget is underpinned to another budget that is underpinned to another budget that is 
paid for by billing people for our services. Maybe in you know the bill the and it's billed to the payer. Okay, well Medicare and Medicaid, you know when when those costs go up, you know then the funding goes up. It's also Blue Cross Blue Shield, Cigna, Aetna, those people. When those costs go up, it all goes up. Yeah. So it, it's pe people get hung up on kind of Medicare, Medicaid, and and that's a big part of it. And um, but that's like you know depending on where you are in the country, that's like half of it. There's a whole other half that it, it, there's a cost problem too. So I, I feel for um, our rural hospitals, right? Absolutely. I mean, your buying power and, and, you know, working with, you know, Perry Kerwin, um, you guys have a lot more negotiations that you can bring to the table, right? Certainly. I see in rural hospitals, so many, so many small hospitals had to shut down during COVID. They mm -hmm. were, they're run by facility directors who may call a third party in to handle their PMs or um, they're trying to do it themselves and they just have service contracts. Now no one's coming out, right. but they're the little guy, right? Yeah. And so people depend on these rural hospitals across the nation, and, and they're taking care of a lot of people that we don't realize. It's not just the big universities. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's, and I'm glad you bring that up because I've, I was thinking through that as I was kind of thinking through us talking this afternoon and, and, Honestly, the place I'm at now was um, uh, probably among the best places to be to deal with all this. And we still we had a ton of challenges. It was way harder than it should have been. But I really have thought a lot about I've, even my friends that are at larger places, but they work for ISOs. You know, I've, I've got a lot of friends in the industry that had no no bargaining at all. I've got friends you know pe people that i love dearly and and think the world of that have just been uh com you know removed from the ability to really make an impact so it seems to me that there's a lot of money being thrown on the oem side and i understand that there are things that they need to protect we discussed those but overall um the organization of the htm industry has been difficult at best Right, your 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 BMets are not the ones that are going out to talk to their legislators. Right. Um. So it's now become a political issue in California. It was just introduced and it went ten to zero. So in favor of right to repair. Politically, how do you see it? Is it is it a bipartisan issue? Do you feel that in your territory in North Carolina that you're being heard? What are your thoughts? Yeah, you know politics have gotten so strange anyway it's like there need there needs to be like a manual to understand which which topic is needs to be avoided and which crowds and things like that it's uh it, it's wild that even something like the right to repair can be so polarizing just based on which person brings it for you know forward into a, a, a legislator um i think you hit the nail on the head one one of the big issues is that folks like you and i have a lot more thoughts but a lot less money to be able to to go out and and, and influence this stuff
we're we're approaching it ideologically and i'm not sure that right now ideology wins in politics and 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 i think it's more about uh either either being able to fund at least at this level you know it's more about being able to fund a decision or or or, or buy a decision um or it's just if it's not one of the really cool things to be doing right now, people just don't seem to care. And I, I think, you know, you brought up like California and California is one of the places that actually explicitly mentions medical equipment, you know, they're, they're, as, as one of the things that should be able to be repairable outside. And uh, I think the last I looked, it's, there's, you know, 25, 30, something like that, states that have brought forth legislation. And yeah, there's 31 to be exact right 31. now. 31. Okay. That's close enough. That's a, and uh, so 31 and, and most of them either just either they say like non automotive or whatever. And many of them say like excluding medical and excluding agriculture. And you look, it's like, what? Okay, so why why is automotive agriculture? You know, what does what does the automotive industry, the agriculture industry, and the medical device industry have in common? They've got more lobbyists, yeah. and, and and again, and they're also heavily regulated industries. But 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 is that is that like chicken or the egg type of situation? Right. Well, how can you inspire our HTM industry out there? To get more involved, what do you tell your team? Uh, the first thing I usually tell my team is go get your PMs done. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> yeah, actually, I'm not. I'm not kidding. But yeah, um, we have to represent ourselves really well every chance we get. Sometimes that chance is a patient got hurt and they're doing, you know, that they picked up a good. TV lawyer and and the the they're trying to get some money and they want to know every device that was on this patient and now they're coming and and they subpoenaed all the service records for for that for those devices let's make sure those service records are really good yeah like and 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 I tell my team this all the time and I mean it sincerely all all you need to do is in writing explain what you did mm-hmm. because I know you I know we did a good job I, I know you did what you needed to do and and it's not about it, it it's not about you know being it's not a creative writing exercise or anything like that it's just make sure when if, if this is printed in a magazine everyone that reads it would say wow you know, Ben did a really good job on that work order. I don't know anything about PMing an anesthesia machine, but look, look at that test equipment he used. Look at those part numbers. Look at the test that uh, the test that he performed. He verified, you know, at, at the end of all that, then he verified it was operating properly and he returned it to service and he talked to Rachel, you know, or whatever. Yeah. And, and, and it, it's, it's simple. Uh, if you don't document it, it didn't happen. Exactly. And I, I, I think that I think that it's got to start there. It doesn't uh, we, we have to at every moment, every time we're subpoenaed, every time there's a tracer, 
every time the FDA comes in and wants to see what you did with the recall, every time anything like that happens, we should be just in some relatively consistent way across organizations, we should be able to show what we did. That way, when when we're standing, you know, when Ben Singh and, and Matt Veritich and when these folks are standing in front of the people making the decisions and saying, we are worthy of this, we're capable. They're not saying, yeah, but did you did you see this work order? And 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 that feels like an oversimplification, but it's true. So I think I think we let the smart folks. I I, I love Ben Singh and, and I love all those people. I, I, I really do. And 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 let's make sure that we're doing we're representing ourselves in a way that it 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 makes what they're doing even easier. That's a great point, Ben. That really is. So I've enjoyed our talk today and I'm going to ask you one last question. All right. All right. So we're closing um, everything in this series with what is your wow word, your word of wisdom when it comes to right to repair? You might use a couple words, but give us something to think about from just you. We do the big things so well. We have to focus on excellence and consistency on the small things that we're doing. And I think if we can handle that well, I, I believe that we are handed the right to repair on a silver platter and we're able to move forward as an industry, you know, and we can still compete with each other at RFPs and we can still compete on KPIs and performance metrics and all this stuff, but but we're doing that in a way that is who is the most excellent, and not uh, not not trying to prove that the other person's not worthy. I like those words, excellence and consistency. Pleasure having you on today. I hope I get to North Carolina to visit you in person someday soon. Yeah, please do. I know a couple of good uh, barbecue spots and. Yeah, we'd be, I'd be happy to spend some time with you. That'd be great, Ben. Well, thanks again. And uh, thank you for tuning in to HTM Insider brought to you by Baltimore Medical Systems. Thank you, Ben, for a great presentation. If you enjoyed today's podcast, you might enjoy our ongoing webinar series, Webinar Wednesday. You can find a calendar of upcoming live webinars, as well as an archive of on-demand webinars at webinarwednesday.live. To obtain your certificate for one CE credit from the ACI, please remember to click the link located below this podcast title to complete today's survey. If you have any questions, you can reach us at webinar at mdpublishing.com.